Okay, hello, hello, hello. This is the 52nd episode of the Mental Threads podcast. I'm here with Gunnery Sergeant Mike Knox, correct? I want to make sure I got your title correct. Am I correct, sir? That's correct. All right, cool. Do you say anything, uh, Mr. Michael Knox? Well, not really. I mean, uh, you can ask me whatever you'd like to ask me. You know, I'll be more than happy to answer your questions for you. You know, it's just like, you know, for this episode, it's a very special episode. I didn't know. I didn't even realize, like, I'd actually, like, find time to actually, like, you know, actually interview an actual black veteran and everything. You know, you've actually fought in wars. You know, you've actually seen a whole lot of stuff and everything. You know, being a black man in this country, it's already, you know, pretty, pretty traumatizing enough as it is. So, you know, just uh, so just compound that up with actually fighting in wars and everything, you know, Um how would you like to describe the experience, you know, dive into like, you know, but yeah, matter of fact, before we even touch that, let's start to with like where it all starts from the beginning. Um, You were born Michael Knox in what year? I was born May 21st, 1953. Oh, okay. In Warren, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Nice. Warren, Ohio. And how long have you spent uh, time in uh, Warren, Ohio? I was there from the time I was brought home to the hospital um, uh, shortly after my date, date of birth. Until I graduated from high school and entered the Marine Corps in 1970. I actually went to boot camp in 1971 at Paris Island. Marine Corps Crew Depot, Paris Island, South Carolina, where I went to boot camp at. And I went there from May 28, 1971 until August 9, 1971. When my platoon graduated, actually my series graduated. Uh, series comprises four platoons, four recruit platoons. And uh, that makes a company. And we graduated uh, that company that day. It was a Monday. I'll never forget it. Started drizzling rain, and uh, we had our graduation ceremony in the Depot Theater at MCRD. We didn't have it on the parade deck, which is normally the custom. You know, you have a parade out there, but uh, ours was held in inside a theater because it was raining outside. Mm-hmm. Held right inside a theater because it was raining outside. You know. Yeah, that's crazy. I know, like, you know, trying to go into the Marine Corps and everything, you know, it's just, it's not, not no easy feat, not at all and everything, no, not, not even the side. <laughs> but if we had to, like, you know, speak on just the process altogether, I know you had, they had to teach you, like, basic combat, how to, like, shoot a weapon, stuff yeah. of that nature. If you were to go into detail on the process it is to become a full-fledged Marine, you're free to discuss that. Okay. Well, boot camp comprises, uh, about uh, 16 weeks of uh, actual training. You've got uh, T-Days. They're divided into T-Days. And uh, you must complete every every training day uh, that's afforded to you in recruit training so you can learn how to become a basically trained, uh, physically fit Marine, you know. There's certain things you have to do. You have to... Uh, you have to learn close order drill. You have to learn the manual arms. You have to no learn the nomenclature of weapons. You know, you have to be able to disassemble them and assemble them, assemble them and you have to name each part. Uh, you have to know that weapon like you know your, your own body, you know. And you're entrusted to keep it clean and care for it for the 16 weeks you spend in recruit training. You're assigned that weapon and uh, you're... Uh, you're responsible for that weapon. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, that's crazy and everything, you know. So you basically have to pay much. Crazy. Oh. They do it for a reason. Uh, I mean, like, crazy, not like saying the process is crazy. Just meaning just, like, you know, just knowing that there's so many different, like, aspects of, like, having to get into the Marine and everything that mm. casual people don't know and everything. There's, like, different parts. Some people go into the Air Force. Some people just right. go into the Army and stuff of that nature, you know. Marine Corps has its own aviation arm. Marine Corps has fixed-wing aircraft. We have fighter jets and attack aircraft. And we also have uh, helicopters. I've been both in fixed-wing uh, Marine squadrons as well as helicopter squadrons in the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's what I did. You know, I went to Naval Air Technical Training Center in uh, outside of Memphis, Tennessee uh, in 1971 after I finished boot camp. I was there for like three more months uh, going through uh, ADJ school, ADR school first. It's a uh, reciprocating engine mechanic. Mm. 
school. And they teach you how to teach you all the combustion cycles for that type of radial engine. And they teach you how to take it down and put it back together and all that kind of stuff. Do everything, anything you need to do as far as engine maintenance. And they taught us a lot about aircraft, you know, uh, what the front end is called and what the ass end of it is called. The empanage, you know, with the tail section, the vertical stabilizer and the two, uh, uh, and the horizontal stabilizer, you know. Uh, they teach you all about that, the landing gear and all the systems and controls aboard aircraft and helicopters and stuff like that. It's a lot to learn, but... Uh, I was I was enthused with it. And I was glad to learn it. I eat that stuff. I soaked it up like a wet sponge. Okay, so you pretty much caught on to the whole all the responsibilities and all the quirks and uh, necessities that came with being in the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, okay, so it's just like you know I. I know it's just like we all have different interests and in what leads us to do many different things. I wanted to hold the whole podcasting thing because, you know, it started off as a thought, an idea in my head. Right. And I just had to seek out to realize it, uh-huh. you know. Now it's like this is my 52nd episode. It's just a part of me now, you know, okay. along with my, my music and everything. But it's like, what? what? Second nature to you. <laughs> I wouldn't say second nature. I was like, I'm still I had to be disciplined to really step out and actually mm-hmm. go out and actually like interview people like I'm doing now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just it just takes a whole lot of like making time to do so. Trying to pick out whether the interviews is something you want to keep or not, and everything. You know, sometimes I have friends that get on and like they do certain things and like they incriminate themselves. And then it's just like now I'm at a position where it's like, dude, should I even post that episode and everything? Because it's just like, oh, yeah. you know, you don't want this stuff to come back and bite you in the back uh-huh. years later. It's just like, hey, you said this years. You'd be surprised uh, the number of African Americans there are in the Marine Corps today. Uh, even when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, some almost 30 years ago, uh, there were a lot of African-Americans who were Marines. And I knew quite a few guys from all across the United States. And I served with them overseas and in the States, continental United States. But uh, some of those men are retired today, like I am. They finished their careers and they retired from the Marine Corps. Like I've got a good friend named... Uh, Arnold Powers. He lives in Arlington, Texas. Mm. He's originally from Dallas. Mm. Arnold retired as a math sergeant, E-8. Mm. Plus, he worked for the IRS for like 16 or 18 years. And uh, he got a retirement from the IRS as well. Uh, he makes he makes considerable sum of money right now today. Yeah, I mean, you work for IRS, you know, like, those are some scary f- individuals you're working oh, yeah. for, man. Yeah. I, you know, eh, everybody fears the IRS, oh, man. Yeah, you Got to pay your taxes on time. Right. Right. But it's just like, you know, well, if we had to go back on interests and everything, everyone has a certain drive to what kind of pushes them to do whatever they want to do and everything, uh-huh. you know. It's like, what is the main reason or main, like, drive that pushes you into, like, wanting to join the Marine Corps overall? Well, what what really got me going was uh, I remember President Kennedy's uh, inaugural speech, you know, when he was inaugurated as president in January of 1960 or 61 when he assumed office, you know. And uh, I remember him saying, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Yeah. And those words, they just... They just burnished in, in me, you know, and uh, I always wanted to do something to do for my country. And uh, I figured the Marine Corps was the best way to go for me. And that's why I chose the Marine Corps. Mm. Yeah. And what are the subtle differences with the Marine Corps and conclusion with the Army and the Air Force that just made you think, you know, yeah, I prefer the Marine Corps out of all these other divisions? Well, I liked... Uh, my recruiter's bearing. I like the way he he wore his uniform, uh, how he looked in his uniform. Uh, I just liked all everything about Marines. You know, I always have. When the first time I ever saw a Marine recruiter, I knew I wanted to wear that uniform. And uh, one day I did, you know. So you had to kind of manifest it in a sense, you know, just yeah. like, I got to be that. Something about that just was calling out to me. I just wanted to do, man. I said to be a Marine. 
Yeah, man. I mean, that's a, that's the main thing that drives all of us, man. It's just like, you know, even with my whole music thing, although it's just kind of lagging right now, I dropped like 12 songs last year. Like, yeah, that's a lot better than most people, but it's like, you know, oh, yeah. it's just not ideal for me. I kind of just thought as soon as I got out of high school, I'd just be on it, you know, just like maybe like a couple songs every year and then just add it up, add it up. Now I'm at a crossroads where I'm trying to get to 50 songs this year oh, somehow yeah, make it. after I get my whole legal situation set up and out the way. And everything but it's just i just see it it's just another challenge in life you know nothing oh, yeah. nothing is gonna hold me back from doing that's what right. i need to do right. it's just really just a matter of disciplining myself to really start to the dream yeah you have to imagine something before you can uh bring in the fruition you know and if you want something bad enough first you'll imagine it and then you'll plan on how to obtain that whatever it takes you know whether it requires more education what it requires going out and uh, pounding on doors, ringing doorbells. I mean, whatever the case may be, once you put that plan in motion, you don't stop until you achieve your goal and go beyond that goal. First, you got to achieve it, and then you've got to be fruitful in it. Definitely got to be fruitful in it, for sure, for sure. And it's just like, I know, like, we all do seem to go through a whole lot of stuff in this country as black men, you know, it's just like, um, and considering how you were born in, uh, in the 50s and stuff and you joined the Marine Corps in the 70s, I assume that you had to face a whole lot of, like, racist stigma that you had to face and obstacles, you know, as a black man in the Corps. Is, is it true or is it not there, true? There were, there were some, some racist incidents, uh, you know, damn few, you know, damn few. I can recall one incident uh, that happened aboard Camp Pendleton, Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton, California. Uh, it happened in uh, a unit aboard Camp Pendleton. It wasn't the unit I was assigned to, but it happened at Camp Horno. Uh, Camp Horno was where the first Marines, uh, first Marines uh, are headquartered at. That's a small part of Camp Pendleton, Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton. It encompasses 122 square miles. It's the largest amphibious base in the world. And it was right on a beach, too. You can look right at road, right over uh, some of the hills aboard Camp Pelton and Camp San Onofre. You can look right over Interstate 5, and you can see the Pacific Ocean and the beach. Oh, yeah. Ships passing out there on the water. Cars driving up and down the freeway. You can actually see it from there. But... Uh, what happened was uh, they had some racist uh, white Marines in the unit. And, uh, you know, I guess the black Marines didn't like it, you know, some of the things they were saying and whatnot. And, you know, they had a beef with them. And one night they uh, caught one of the white guys alone in the barracks and they, uh, they killed him. They stabbed him with the bayonets. They killed them? Like, uh, their own Marine brother? I know it's just like, you know, they're, I mean, they're on the same team, though, so I wouldn't, they just, they just stabbed him. Took their bayonets and stabbed the guy. Wow. Did they get any repercussions yeah. for that? Yeah, it was a lot of repercussions. 13 of them got court-martialed, and they were transferred to various posts throughout the Marine Corps. I don't know where they all sent them all to, but, you know, one day they were at camp on them, the next day they were gone. Wow. Yeah. That's... That seems like something that escalate very quickly, and like you know, like how often would that happen? Like Marines, like you know, offing other Marines and stuff. Well, it happened once before in 1969 at Camp Lejeune here in North Carolina, east coast of North Carolina. Was uh, it also race related? Yeah, uh, some white guys, uh, you know, have been badgering the black Marines and stuff. And back then, Marines kept their weapons uh, in the barracks. Uh, with the slings attached to the end of the rack, their beds, you know, their bunks. That's where they were kept, but they were kept unloaded. Somehow or other, some of those brothers had gotten some live rounds in the barracks. And I guess some of them had already loaded some magazines. And uh, they locked and loaded one, one Sunday afternoon after chow. They came back from chow, they got their weapons, and they went out in the company street. And they were marching toward these white guys who were also in the street. They were unarmed, but the uh, black Marines had their M14 rifles. And most of them were locked and loaded, you know. 
It could have gotten very bad, very ugly. It could have turned real ugly had not uh, the military police arrived and they quelled it and uh, had those black Marines take their weapons back to the, back to the barracks, you know. Actually, they had them secure them in the armory. They had to take them to the armory and get them turned in and secured for the night. And that's that's really hectic, man. You know, it's like I know we all have to face, you have to seriously face a lot of racism day to day and everything. But this just be have so much intensity that you take another life. I mean, that was just uh, two incidents that I recollect. You know, uh, that happened in the Marine Corps. Didn't happen over the course of my career. One of the incidents happened before my career even began. Uh, One of them happened during my career, but. Ints like that are few, far, and in between, you know? That's a rarity. Also, oh, it's kind of a rarity for oh, these yeah. races. It's a rarity. But they do happen, though, still. Yeah, stuff like that happens from time to time, you know? But nothing nothing that was that you got involved in? No. You, you don't forget, you ain't got to speak on it if you don't want to. Uh-huh. It's like... Well, that's, I mean, at least at least your experience is a little bit like a little bit more. I don't want to say kinder in a sense, but it's just like it's never really pushed you to the point where you had to take no. another. I had to... I had to Draw a weapon on another Marine one time when I was at Marine Barracks in Subic Bay, in the Republic of the Philippines. Uh, this corporal uh, he couldn't control his troops, his squad. He had a squad of Black Marines, and they were giving Corporal uh, Corporal Lee hell this one morning. I had a red light moving. I was sorry in the guard. I had to go up there to the Naval Magazine, uh, the lower compound where they're. Uh, quote, the guard and their, their racks were at, you know, where they stayed bunked at up there for 24 hours they were on duty. And uh, I got up there about 7.30 that morning. The red light movement was supposed to take place at 0800. Mm-hmm. That's 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I go into the corporate guard's room, and I'm sitting there, I'm standing there talking to the corporate guard who's seated behind his desk. And I notice he's got the... The weapons uh, locker open, it's unlocked, so they can come in and get their weapons and two, two magazines of five rounds each go outside the clearing barrel, uh, clear, clear their weapons and uh, load a magazine of five rounds in the butt of their weapon and holster it, close the flap. Well, Corporal Lee happened to come in. I asked Corporal Lee, I said, where's, where's your men at? Are they up and ready to go? He goes, uh, not yet, Sergeant. That's what we mean. Not he's not yet. I said you better get them motherfuckers up and get them dressed and get their ass out on the road because we got a red light movement in about 15 minutes. Mm. You better get their ass in the gear and get them moving. Mm. So he left and he went back. He came back and he got his weapon. He drew a 45 uh, caliber automatic pistol, two magazines, and I didn't think nothing of it. You know, I figured. He's got his guys up there getting dressed, getting ready to come out. And he's going out to the clearing barrel to clear his weapon and and put a, round, a clip in it and, and holster it, you know. Didn't think nothing of it. Well, I didn't know. He went back in the damn barracks. And uh, next thing we heard was a gunshot. And I'm like, what the fuck? And uh, the corporal guard jumped up from behind his desk. And he was running out through the hallway before I could even turn. And I was following him. And I happened to uh, draw my weapon in the chamber around. And uh, it was locked and loaded then. And the corporate guard had already gone through the, the hatch that led into the barracks room. And he already walked through that hatch. And he was standing over to my right as I entered. And I walked in. I looked down between the racks on both sides. And uh, I could see... Corporal Lee standing at the rear hatch with his with his back to the door. And I can see a spent shell casing on the on the deck, just in front of his feet. And he had a weapon up like this across his chest. And I can clearly see the hammer was cocked to the rear. And I saw that spent shell casing on the deck, so I knew he had another round in the chamber. And at least uh, five more rounds or three more rounds uh, in the magazine. And I aimed my pistol at uh, Corporal Lee's chest. And I told him to put the weapon on the deck. 
but he had like a 2,000-yard stare in a, in a 50-foot space. Like he was looking someplace. I don't know. He, he, he wasn't there. He wasn't there mentally, physically either. His mind was like gone, you know. And uh, Corporal Rowland, another Marine, walked over on the starboard side of the barracks and walked all the way down to the end behind the racks and came out and he took the, took the weapon. He said something to Corporal Lee. I couldn't hear what he was saying. But uh, he reached up and... Uh, he placed his hand on the muzzle of the weapon, and I guess Corporal Lee relinquished it, and he let him take it out of his hand. Because uh, had he not done that, and he pointed that weapon or made any move to point that weapon, I would have shot him. Damn. I would have shot him. Yeah, man. I would have shot him dead. Yeah, and it's just it's so crazy how, like, day to day, like, y'all pretty much are familiarized with death. Like, some people have never even, like, you know, shot a weapon. Yeah, well. Like, they go their whole lives not even shooting I a weapon. Know, I know, And it's like, you're immersed actually holding a weapon, taking a life, and stuff of that nature. I mean, when it comes to, like, really, you know, taking a life, though, it's just, like, just... Something that, you know, I don't even think about. I don't even think about that. I don't even think about that. Don't even think about no. it? No. Just let it go? Now when it comes to life and death, somebody's trying to... Take your life away, guys. Take my life or take another one of my fellow Marines' lives and place them in mortal danger. That person's got to go. Mm-hmm. Good fuck who it is. So that person's got to go. Got to go. Something like that. Would you say, like, do you, would you really keep count of, like, all the lives you've taken? Or is it just, it's just, it is what it is? It is what it is. You don't even keep count no. of it? No, it is what it is. Do you even remember faces anymore? No. Nope. No. It is what it is. I wouldn't give a fuck. I mean, you trying to hurt me, and if I get drop on you first, damn it, you gonna you gonna bite the dust. It's simple like that. You got to go. You got to go. Got to go, man. That's crazy. I don't give a fuck. I don't. It don't matter to me. It don't matter at that point. Mm. You're trying to kill me. Well, I'm gonna be seriously thinking about killing you too. No, I can understand. Be I careful, understand. Be careful where you point the muzzle of that weapon. Mm-hmm. If you point it anywhere near me, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going to pull the trigger on your ass. Mm-hmm. And you will drop. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure of that. Yeah, and there ain't nothing more to fear than an old... I don't want to say old. Oh, you're older and everything. But yeah, I've lived an extended life and everything. You've pretty much lived past all this stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, would you say that you're kind of blessed or divinely protected? Or is it just like you just know your stuff and everything? It's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, I definitely know my stuff, but uh, I think uh, good Lord affords me sense of protection. I know he's always been there in the troubled times and the storms and whatnot. Uh, he's always been there. He's always been there to help me and give me courage and guide me, you know. So, I mean, that's just where it's at for me, you know. Yeah, man, I could feel that. I don't worry about uh, about the outcome of things too much. Mm. I really give it a second. I don't give it a second thought. You know, if I find myself in the fire, you know, at some point or other, I don't know how to get through it because I've done it so many times before. Mm. I don't know how to get through it. Yeah. Some things just happen intrinsically. You know it. Intrinsically, without question, you know these things deep down inside of you. Yeah, no, I can mm. feel that. I can feel that a whole lot, man. It's just like, I know it's like, you know, even with black men in this country, we all suffer from PTSD, whether it's like we know it or not. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I especially suffer from PTSD I've over. Been traumatized. Yeah, I mean, I feel like your PTSD is a lot more like severe and everything, whereas mine is just more. I don't want to see a guy compare like. You know PTSDs or whatever, because you know mentally it just it just comes with just being a black man at this point. Like we all been through some type of traumatic experience or something mm-hmm. that's just some scenario that kind of replays in our head over and over and over again. And you know, I guess it's really just we, have, we might do some things day to day to try to manage and try to like keep our minds off of like whatever might have happened to us in the past. Like, how could you say you manage your PTSD, sir? How do you describe your PTSD, like in your own words? Well, I've had nightmares. Uh, I've woke, woken up uh, 
in the middle of the night with fits of, uh, I guess, just fear, you know, where, you know, like I walked out on the deck one night aboard the USS Iwo Jima just minutes uh, after a Navy second-class radio man got hit in the chest with a chunk of a rotor blade. He killed him. Killed him. He was dead. And they were hustling him down to sick bay, the medical. Wow. I'll never forget that. Uh, yeah. Helicopter crashed in front of the number two gun mount mm-hmm. on the forward part of the ship. Mm-hmm. It was during a, a night uh, nighttime uh, uh, vertical uh, replacement exercise. This helicopter was flying off. This Navy ship was running alongside of us in the Mediterranean at nighttime. Both ships steaming at their normal speed, pacing each other. But the one ship was a supply ship, and they had helicopters on board. They loading our supplies aboard the helicopter, and they would take off and fly around and come aboard and land on our ship, offload their cargo, take off and go back to their ship, pick up another load. However many times we needed to do that until we were, uh, replaced all our stores. But uh, the pilots didn't take off right. They didn't take off over the port side of the ship. They tried to take off over the starboard side of the ship. And they did that. The plane had to roll. The helicopter had to roll right. And they hadn't picked up enough uh, airspeed to lift. And one of the rotor blades started hitting the damn uh, the gun mount. It struck the gun mount first. And I guess it probably struck the deck too. And a piece of that rotor blade broke off and it started flying in all directions. And killed Santa there over in the catwalk area mm. below the bridge. And some uh, of that rotor blade hit him in the chest. It's a lot, man. Oh, hold on a second. Is someone calling me? People dying. People oh, hold on a second. Hold on. I got to take this one. But, you know, back on, like, managing your PTSD and everything. So it's like, when, what do you do, like, in order to, like, manage it? You know, some people like to meditate. I like to music. Oh, so mute, listen to music is where I you're like safe. Music. I like to read, you know. I'm reading uh, this book by... Uh, W.B. Du Bois, mm. The Souls of Black Folk. Mm. It's a very interesting read, man. It's about uh, what was going on uh, after the Civil War in America mm. and how black people were trying to show to move up, you know, and have a voice in society, which all that was suppressed, you know, around 1899 with Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm. Supreme Court case, which uh, abolished... Uh, uh, equal treatment under the law. That's when they made separate but equal the law of the land. Mm. And then they entered Jim Crow in the South, which spread throughout the United States. And, uh, you know, you couldn't so much as look at a white person. If a white person was walking down the sidewalk and they were approaching you, you best step off the sidewalk. I don't give a fuck if it's mud down there, horse shit or what. You better step off the sidewalk and get them white people right away on that sidewalk. And you never looked the white man in the eyes. Never. You always had your head bowed, looking down. It's crazy how Tom was back then, man. Oh, I yeah, swear. It's like now, it's like my brother dates a white woman, yeah. like right now. And it's just like. Well, you know, you got to keep in mind this is like a modern podcast. I'm not that bullshit, man. I'm telling you, bro. Mm. I'm telling you, you don't have to, and I'm not going to, period. Yeah, because I know you went through a whole different time, so you had to... Bullshit. Fuck that. Yeah, for me, I always see myself, like, you know, marrying, like, a black woman and everything like that. That's the only way I can see it, because it's like I feel like a lot of my... A lot of the traumas I've been through, you know, in society and everything, I feel like the only way I can heal is, like, with a black woman. You know, I feel like, you know, that's the main thing. Like, I don't want to say, like, oh, yeah, it's just like, oh, we have to understand each other and we have to do this, but it's just like... A lot of nice black girls out here, man. Yeah, especially in college, yeah. Damn right, looking for somebody, man. Yeah, man. A whole bunch of pretty girls out here. Yeah, but it's like, you know, you want up. 
it's just like you know i guess this generation's kind of messed up i don't want to say messed up because it's like it's kind of we're just focused on the next thing they're ignorant they're ignorant of the truth and uh if a lot of people knew the truth and they knew more about their history their own history they'd be 10 times better off than they are right now because a lot of people are just ignorant to the truth of the matter they're ignorant about their history they're ignorant about a lot of things that have happened in this country and things that are still going on in this country and I think without a knowledge of your history, you're 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 damn likely to repeat it. Yeah, I mean that's a true statement. A true statement, you know. But it's just things always change and everything. I'm not saying it's just like it changes your narrative or stuff because it's just it's just there's always some other weird obstacle truth that's coming truth, up. Though. Truth is the truth. You can't you can't, you can't discover the truth because mm. the truth is always going to shine. The truth is always going going to stand firm. Against all lies and any kind of outside material influence or whatever. The truth is the truth, man. Unless you have a good foundation of truth and knowledge of the truth, you're not going to get anywhere. That's just about the size of it. God wrote the book, not me. Mm -hmm. Uh, True thing, true thing, man. You know, it's just like... You can't hide the truth on a lampshade. You can't hide the truth. uh, You can't cover the truth with darkness. Because truth has a way of rising to the light. No matter what. Truth's always going to find the light. It's going to see the light of day. That's why it's called truth. For sure, man. For mm-hmm. sure. Right. You know, and the crazy thing, it's crazy that you mentioned W.E.B., like Du Bois and everything. I come from an HBCU, so we're always talking about, like, mm-hmm. you know, Booker T. Washington's, how he dealt with things, and how it kind of clashed with W.E.B., yeah. Du Bois, and everything. Which side do you pretty much take of it? Mm-hmm. I feel like they're both kind of important in their own way, just that like we have your Malcolm X and your MLK and everything and stuff of that nature. Yeah. It's just like, you Bill know, it's just, car yeah. was good, you know, for one thing, but. His big thing was about agriculture. He wanted uh, the black man lift him up, lift himself up by a bootstrap, and become a farmer. And give them who you, whether you work for a white man or not in the South. But he wanted you to return to farming. Let me be Duval wasn't about that farming shit. But he wanted you to get an education. And I think that's a smart thing. That's the smartest thing that ever could have been said. Black man, get your education first. Then decide what you want to do with your life. And we all wasn't cut out to be farmers. That's true. That's very, very true and everything. Some of us aren't uh, made to be just, you know, sitting doing it for agriculture and stuff of that nature. Some people are just, you know, they're more creative. Some people are more mathematical and stuff of that nature, you know. Right. We all just fit in society where we fit in, you know. There Some you people go. are more well-spoken. Some people are more street smart. Mm-hmm. And they're able to, like, just apply common sense. And some people apply critical thinking to certain uh, matters and stuff of that That's nature. Right. But in Booker T's sense, it's just like, you know, yeah, in a sense, yeah, you could get your education and everything, which I'm more like a WEB the boss kind of guy on that mm-hmm. end because you know you got to know you got to be self-aware you can't, oh, yeah. otherwise you'd be taken advantage of and everything right. whereas like for booker and everything i feel like the um, the positives from what booker's argument is it's just like you know at the same time you got to learn certain skill sets and everything and kind of build yourself up in general well, always he, good he wanted, he wanted yeah. people to have uh, an agricultural yeah. education mm-hmm. you had to know uh something about farm implements uh you know, you had to learn uh, about seeds and planting and harvesting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, that's what he wanted people to be educated about. The women, they, they learn how to cook and uh, keep house and, uh, you know, iron and stuff like that. They learn women's things, how to sew, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but the men, they learn the farm, farm work. That's what they, he taught them in his industrial schools. Uh, I don't think that would have been a life for me, man. Yeah, man, it's just too stagnant. It just doesn't seem like much of a future after that, you know? Like, oh, generation, generation, all we do is just farm and cook, and that's it. Okay. You know? Yeah, there's more things in the world than that. Yeah, man, you know? That's, that's one reason why I decided to leave Warren, Ohio when I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't going to work in no steel mill. And I wasn't going to work in no damn factory. Yeah, man. No, fuck that. Couldn't do it, man. I want Couldn't to see the world, man. I wanted, to, I wanted to see faraway places. Mm-hmm. I want to experience other cultures and see different things. And I think that's what attracted me more than anything else to the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, man. 
I can feel that. that yeah. That's actually pretty cool. That's a, that's another cool yeah. entrance and everything. Y'all do get to travel, and that's one of the main things I want to put on my bucket list. Yeah. And the travel, hopefully me and my father can set me up with like a passport for sure, man. I definitely want to return back to my homeland of Liberia for sure. Oh, yeah. And everything. I know I, I went to spiritual guys to say it's always going to be a good experience and stuff mm -hmm. of that nature, and it's definitely something I should look forward to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so for that, it's just hard. I'm usually asleep this time of day, but it's just like I'm still trying to like keep up and everything, you know. Oh, that's okay. Be, I'm yeah. sitting there watching you. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, yeah, it's just stuff like that. I want to be able to probably visit maybe the Bahamas, St. <laughs> Croix, stuff of that nature. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, you know, you know, really see the world myself and everything. That's why I really wanted to go into business, too. Because it's just like, you know, uh, I, I, I did an episode with my grandfather the other day. And he actually told me something I didn't really know. See, in Liberia, it's not just like just us Liberians than other people in Africa, like Lebanese people and stuff of that nature. There'd be people out like Koreans that come through and also Mexican folk that come through. Also, just because like we have so many different resources and that it just it's just like they kind of work together with the plan. And I didn't know that. So it's like my grandfather actually met people of different cultures, like Mexicans and stuff before it even came to America so I didn't even know that but they don't try to discuss that stuff with you in school and stuff like that they always want to make no, it seem no. like oh yeah though we're like dirty and stuff like that I used to date a Mexican girl when I was uh, attending Arizona Western College in Yuma, Arizona oh cool uh, how'd that go well, she was 19 years old I was about uh, 20 28 29 hmm, okay still yeah. legal yeah it's legal but uh I met her aunt and her uncle who lived in Yuma on off of, uh, 16th Avenue, and they welcomed me to their home anytime. You know, they knew I was on the board patrol. Uh, but Anna, her name was Anna Maria Gonzalez. I met her in a class out there. I was taking, uh, and uh, we met and started talking, and, and they said, "You know, I was hitting that booty, man, hitting, hitting it, bang it, man." <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with that girl, but uh, yeah. she uh, she wanted to go home and visit. Yeah. And I drove her back to Mexico. We crossed the border in my car. Yeah. I was a border patrol agent. I was off that weekend, though. Yeah. And I drove her down towards uh, Tucson, and we took the southern road that led down to Ajo, Mexico. And uh, once we crossed the border to Mexico, we drove her home in Puerto Penasco or Rocky Point. And uh, her father, her father was like a, he was like a home builder. He built homes and stuff for people. He had a nice home down there. And I met his father, I met his mother, her sisters. I don't know if you had any brothers. And uh, we were coming back and they had to cross the port, port of entry. And a customs agent asked to pull over. So I had to pull over in the secondary. And they came up to the car and asked for see identification and stuff. And I showed them my shield, you know, and my board patrol ID. And uh, they asked her Anna's uh, paperwork and stuff, and she didn't have anything. So they asked her to step out of the vehicle, and I said, no, nah, man, wait a minute. That's my girl, man. I got to take her back home, man. Well, sir, she she's not a citizen of the United States. Uh, I knew that, but I had to go inside the station and talk to them guys into not arresting her and letting her leave with me, and they, they allowed her to go. But, uh, you know, it created a kind of a little stink, you know, okay. in my sector office. I got called in. I was being investigated. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, like you know, like Mexican girls, especially like that. Was like this is they have a have a way of like showcasing like maybe like a maybe like a fond chapter in one's life for sure. I know, like I had a I want to say it was like a fling, but let me just say maybe it was like a little bit of a connection uh, back when I was working at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet she was, and like this was this was crazy that you mentioned that because I was really just thinking about this girl in my life, like but she, it was so long ago. Like I'm twenty. I'm about to turn 24 very soon. Like, you know, I met her back when I was 17. So that's seven years ago. It's like, it's crazy how time flies by. But I was just thinking about her. It's just like how we're working at Compare Foods. And it's like, man, like maybe something could have came out of it. 
you know, but it's like, you know, I was the only black <laughs> kid working at that Compare Foods, and it was not pretty, man, all the racism, man. I didn't know Mexicans were racist until I started working at Compare Foods. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think you might have seen it, that same Compare Foods next to Taco Bell and everything. No, no. I don't ever shop to compare foods. Never do. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, if you see a grocery store called Compare Foods, uh, n- near on uh, I think Sharon Amity, is it on Sharon? Amity? Yeah, it's on Sharon Amity. Mm. They drive and everything. I used to work there. I used to walk there, take the bus there when, the, when they had a bus coming through this neighborhood. I used to take the bus just to go there and everything. You know, mm. it's like this one. You know, she's very beautiful, very very fine. But it was like there was this other Mexican guy on my job too. It's just like he kind of just felt some type of way about me, like talking to her and everything. But it's like, yay, man. She had a car and everything. Trying to get my pants too. <laughs> I was out of beat it to the cut, man. <laughs> well, it was it was kind of tough for get me. In where you fit in, bro? It was tough because it was just like you know, like everybody kind of sided with him on the job, and people just yeah, didn't man. mess with me Fuck on the him, job. Man. <laughs> you know, you it was just... to her first, man. You go and get the pussy, man. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did get along and everything a lot, but it was just like, you know, I just, I didn't speak the language and everything, and it's just like, it's kind of racist. Yeah, I didn't speak Spanish, so it's just like, people would just like, probably like fry or just try to ridicule me and everything on the job. And everything. Contigo. What what does that mean? problem with you. That's my problem with me? It's a problem with you. I mean, hey, I admit to it. I mean, it's just, it is. It's a problem with Contigo. Uh, no problem contigo. That's, yeah. that's not, I wish that's one language that's on my bucket list somewhere. Like it's French and Spanish. My native, my native no tongue. French. You don't want no French? You're not no. feeling French? Uh, uh-uh. fuck France. I ain't never been to France, Germany. Really? You never been to France? No. Or Germany? Nope. I wasn't in the army. Oh, uh, okay. Marines they send Pacific. Oh yeah, because like you're mostly yeah. working with the waters and everything right. like that. So it's just like you know. only time I went to the Mediterranean was aboard a naval ship mm. out of uh, Marine Corps Station New River, North Carolina. Mm. We flew our helicopters out to this ship, which is uh, anchored off 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 the coast of North Carolina. About ten miles off the coast, we had to fly our helicopters out there to board the ship, and then we would sail for. East East Mediterranean, out near Beirut. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. It's just like I have a whole list of places I'm definitely trying to see if I can find. Maybe I can take like a week out of a month to just go visit or whatever. Fine, honey's in, uh, in Italy too, bro. Oh no, I bet Spain too. Spain too, yeah, for sure. Spain, Spain. You mostly like, I guess, your preference. You're mostly drawn to more Hispanic or Spanish type of. Yeah, I've always uh, liked them, them pretty golden skinned women, man. <laughs> I mean, Filipinos too, man. The Filipino honey, they they sweet as pie, man. Well, yeah, I bet like Cambodians too, like they're beautiful also. I, I ain't never met a Cambodian, but you know they're beautiful though, like for sure. I, mean, I like them Filipinos though. Oh, I that's one of the main reasons why I'm trying to travel for sure, Ooh, man. It's just like trying to trying to hit up like Middle Eastern Johns too. That would be, be pretty nice. A Middle Eastern woman too. Like if they take the robes and stuff off, you know. Like, now bras is bad too now. Mm, oh yeah. yeah. I ever been like to Hawaii? I know you've been to Hawaii since like, oh, yeah, yeah. like all the time oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's a Hawaii's nice. Pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's also on my bucket list too. I don't know how many times I'm gonna travel this year and everything, cause I am, cause I have to relocate to Washington D.C. I don't know if it's gonna be in February or whenever and everything, but it's just like you know, it depends if the lawyers in that area can uh, provide me with like uh, limited driving privileges and stuff. I mean, it's gonna be a bitch. Oh, you'll be all right. But it'll be like it'll be whatever. Like you know, I'll get past it, whatever. Yeah, you'll be fine. You know, as long as I can get my driving stuff back when, before you'll homecoming, be, like and and or I go to Howard, like definitely, cause I definitely want to make it to Howard's homecoming and make it to North Carolina Central's homecoming, cause I know for sure it's gonna be popping. So it's just like you know, gonna we'll be get the lights back. Don't worry about. It. Oh yeah, it'll be like in October though, but it's no big deal. I mean, it's no big deal. Like I'm just, it's kind of like I'm kind of over it now. I'm just kind of focused on trying to relocate so I can start working. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm tired of being in the house all day, man. You know, it's just, it's just kind of tired. You know, it's just like trying to ask people to just go, hey, can you go get this for me and everything? It's like, oh no, it's just like. Man, because if it was me, it would have been like, yeah, yeah sure. Get stuff for him. <laughs> I would be the one to be getting stuff for people. I wouldn't mind it, but it's just like sometimes like you can't drive though, so it's just like you know the moment you I drive, you do that. 
Mm, what? What's up? Who's asking you to do that? Dude, oh, no one's asking me to do that. I'm asking them. And it's oh. just me, like, you know, it's just like, hey, man, you know my situation, especially with my brother, but uh, he's he's not here for some reason. But, <laughs> but it is what it is. But, you know, I know he's been speaking a lot about the wars and then talking about women and stuff of that nature. I want to, like, kind of pick your brain out in just regards to, like, how you feel about that things are going in this generation. Like, what's your, how do you see, like, where our generation is going? Like, Mr. Knox, if you wouldn't, like, help to elaborate. There's still a lot of ignorance in the world. You know, you see it sometimes when it raises up your head. You can always pick it out of the crowd because uh, it's always ugly. It's going to be disrespectful and demeaning. Uh, and I hate to see people act like that. I hate to see people that do that kind of thing. But I guess, you know, there's a lot of people out here who are uneducated. I mean, I mean, it just—it just seems that way to me. I mean, I think if people knew more about their history and themselves. Uh, they would afford a proper respect to other individuals, no matter their age, their color, whether they're male or female, uh, and so have you. I mean, but still got a lot of ignorance in the world. Oh, yeah, you can't, ain't no mistaken about that. Hey, those ignorance back then, too. It just takes a different form every generation. Yeah, yeah that's right. For sure, but it's just like, you know, I feel like, you know, especially when it comes to, like, mental illness, you know, you're somebody that has, like, with PTSD. I got PTSD and depression and anxiety and everything, mm -hmm. but I've never put myself in a position where I'd ever want to take pills and stuff of that nature to try to numb out the pain, you know. You know, because that's like some opioids and stuff. You know, you, you, these people are basically crackheads, you know, but they don't even realize that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, so it's just like, what is your stance in regards to drug use in our, like, generation in, in regards to, like, uh, in regards to, like, having to deal with our inner turmoils in regards to, like, how you deal with your inner turmoils and stuff of that nature? Well, I don't see anything wrong with uh, marijuana because God created marijuana. It's a plant. Thank and you. it grows naturally. God planted marijuana. He created marijuana. It's like he created the trees and the grass and everything green that you see in this world. And he made it for a reason. It's medicinal. When I use it, it calms me down. Uh, <laughs> weed, weed calms me down. It's never made me go out and want to kill somebody or made me want to uh, do violence to any person. Uh, weed has had a calming effect on me. And it mellows me out. And uh, I think it's good for my health, you know. Yeah. I don't know how many people my age smoke weed, but I know I smoke it. There's plenty of it, shit. That's, that's what I do. You know, I smoke weed, you know. Well, at least and it keeps me that. relaxed and, uh, and I'm good to go, you know. Yeah, at least it's keeping you relaxed. At least that's it's right. helping with you. At least you're a testament. You're a guy that actually fought for this country to be like, that's okay, right. dude, it's not a big deal. You're a person that actually... Taking lies. And you're saying that it's not a big deal. No, it's not. You know, I feel like, you know, taking stuff like Ritalin, what they try to force on children, is way worse because that, like, ruins your brain chemistry. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, people use uh, cocaine and crack. That that stuff is, uh, that's poison. Still people comes from a plant. Using uh, heroin and taking that damn fentanyl and shit. That, that's yeah. garbage. That stuff, that stuff will kill you. It will take you out of here. Oh, There's nothing as natural as a weed. As a weed. Weed is natural. Yeah, it's not concentrated or nothing. No. Even if it were to be concentrated, it wouldn't do anything but just get you higher. All you're going to do is go to sleep. You're going to try to eat a pair of damn thing in the refrigerator. Or be horny as hell. You're going to go to fuck to sleep. That's the only thing you're going to do. Literally and everything. That's like that's one of the weirdest drugs out law because it's not even really a drug. It's like a supplement to life when you yeah, think about it. Like tea exactly. or something like that. I don't you know, know why the United States government outlawed marijuana back in the 1930s. They put marijuana on the same schedule as uh, heroin. It's classified as a class one drug, narcotic. I think because it's more like for business reasons, because like cannabis could be used to make clothes, make a textiles, make thought, paper, you know. A lot of them thought that uh, it was making white women sleep with jazz singers. We was a we was a stepping stone. They figured that mm -hmm. most of your hair people started smoking weed first before they switched to hair on or, or cocaine. When that wasn't enough, they switched to hair on.
See, they thought marijuana was a stepping stone drug. It caused people to do other things and go on to bigger and, and, and badder drugs. It's not the case at all. I don't think so. I mean, heck, I ain't never been tempted to do anything outside of weed. I just don't really see the point. And I don't even like smoke weed like that, honestly, because it's like I'd rather be in an area where it's actually legalized. So you can be just do freely, however, and so they could be able to like better, like you know, manage like how you much. Can't, you can't smoke it anywhere you want to smoke it around here. Yeah. If you do that, you're gonna you're gonna go to jail. If somebody gonna see, they gonna call the police. You're gonna be arrested. Yeah. And you're going to jail. Uh, can't nobody tell me what I can do in my own damn house. Oh, no, most definitely, because, like... Fuck I want to do in my own damn house. In your own damn house. But it's just, like... But it's just, like, just with all, like, the whole health benefits it has for stress and just, like, you know, depression. I mean, I would say, like, nowadays it makes... A lot of people don't realize that uh, marijuana has a... has a therapeutic uh, effect on people. Yeah. I mean, as far as uh, depression and... PTSD and all that kind of stuff. It has a calming effect on me. I can say that it does for me. I can't speak for everybody else, but it does for me. It has a calming effect on me. It makes me, you know, want to sit still and listen to my music. Ain't nothing wrong with that, man. Book, whatever I'm doing at the time. It's different for me, man. In the beginning, though, I used to enjoy it. Like it's just like, oh wow, this is fun. And then now it's just like, the older you get, you would start making a whole lot of mistakes and everything. Then it just puts you in a headspace that you're just depressed. You keep thinking back in the past. It's like sometimes it just affects people differently. I miss the time where it used to be just like, oh yeah, this is like just a good thing. And everything. I guess it just depends on where your headspace is. Sometimes, you know, it's just like you know. Once I start mailing out, I've never had a problem with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never. I've you never, never had a problem? No, I don't. I don't think a lot of weird shit like that. Well, you know, I mean, some people it's just it's just different. I know, like there are other people that have that same problem and everything. And I just like I don't know. Maybe it's just this generation. Weed makes some people panicky too. Yeah, it makes people just anxious and start thinking I've back seen on that past. too. Yeah, it just makes them think back on don't the past. Don't make me anxious. Mm, you know, I guess it's just like you know, it just it is what it is. That's why I want to go into an area where it's like legal, so it's like you can't be anxious where it's legal. You know, it's just like okay, like what, what are they gonna do to me now? It's legal in my own home, damn it! <laughs> Shit. I'll pay the cost to be the boss here. <laughs> no, for ain't real though. Paying the bills in here, but me. No, no, for Police, real. Nobody else. County sheriff ain't nobody paying my bills for me. No, for real though. I but it's just like I want to do that's why I feel like this, this is all just economic, yeah, man. It's all yeah. economic. They used to push this whole stigma that it's just like marijuana used to make white women sleep with like jazz singers yeah, I and know. everything. I and it's like that's just kind of lame, and it's just mm-hmm. like you know, like just for this, like because it, it would attack so many different businesses. You can make oil out of it. You can. It's a good for medicinal wise. So you won't have to take pills for like mental health and anything. Um, it would just it would make clothes or make plastic. It can make plastic too. You oh, can make yeah. so if you make plastic, it makes it more biodegradable. So it's like it wouldn't even like you know pollute. You use hemp yeah. to make ropes and stuff. They use make ropes. They make ships ropes out of hemp. They still you grow hemp to make ships ropes. Yeah, ain't it a lot stronger and everything. Yeah. Dock. Hell yes, it's hell of a lot stronger than regular whatever you want to make rope out of cotton or whatever twine or whatever you fucking going to use. Yeah, man, and it's yeah. just like there's just so many benefits, you know. I could see a day where maybe all this could change, and they could actually like double down and actually use marijuana, and then, then we could be able to like you know have to fight all the crisis of people trying to lace it and everything. People well, trying to yeah, maybe they do a, more legal vendors and everything across the country. You make some money. People, people, people yeah. I get my weed. I know I'm just getting pure pure weed. I'm not getting no. Ain't no additives in there, no shit like that. I don't even want no shit like that. I wouldn't even buy no shit like that, first of all. Yeah, no, really, though. I don't in my weed, but weed. Just weed. That's all I want. I don't even try to get it from strangers or nothing. They I know, just... They know what to sell me. If shit don't smell right, don't look right, I'm not buying it. Sorry, bro. Oh, no. There ain't nothing wrong with that. That's your money, man. You got to do what you got to do with it. You know, it's like I know I've been speaking about like a whole... Like about close to an hour, and so I guess we need to start pretty much closing in for the next six minutes and everything. So it's like, but to wrap things up for the last subject matter and everything, what are some like life advice you give to people in my generation? You know, it could be black, young black men, or just in general, just like just how to survive in America, you know, and just how to just get through everything. Like, what what words of advice would you give to like the younger generation? 
I'll say uh, study black history. Learn as much black history as you possibly can. And also learn the history of the United States with a focus toward your people. It's, it's, it's good for you to know the struggle that we came from. Because if you don't know your past, I've heard it said by numerous scholars, uh, that if you don't know your past, uh, you're apt to repeat it. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And I say uh, be respectful to your elders. And uh, if you don't know a question, answer to a question, doesn't hurt to ask. Ask someone. Mm. And hopefully you'll ask the right someone who will share the good news, the answer uh, that you're seeking. Mm. Yeah, but if you can't find it from people, you go to your public library and check out the book. Yeah. And sit down and read it for yourself. Oh, yeah, sure. Exactly. That's the best way to learn. Yeah. Libraries aren't bad to go to, no, by the way, not. too. I ain't been there in a, in a brick, though. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reading this book right now about called Taking the Stairs and everything. Just basically what you do is just kind of get yourself prepared for life and organize it if you want to mm-hmm. get your goals done. I'm trying to think. My next book I'm thinking about purchasing is on Amazon. It's like, well, they think it's like Think Rich and Then Grow, something like that. That's the next book I'm really trying to get on because it's like one of the things I really want to really adapt the mindset of this year. I want to be, I to get more into an entrepreneurial phase. You know, I'm doing this podcast too. I'm thinking about trying to do 100 episodes. I'm trying to do 50 songs this year. Once I get the money and funding to do so and everything, I'm still need to get into, write my first song for my next project. Writer's block has don't, me don't going try crazy. To do yeah, you just gotta do it. Make your plan. Sit down. Think about when you're going to start on it. Once you start on it, you do it. You go full bore ahead until it's completed. You see the finish. Finish work at the end. Yeah, man. I'm, That's what you do. I had that whole mindset last year. Damn thing. Had that whole yeah. mindset, everything. Like, I even had to take off school. Like, I was still doing school online and everything. Mm-hmm. But I still had to take off school because I'm like, I ain't never going to come back until I get this project done. And I was I was able to get it done, although it took a while and everything, because I had to get inspired and everything, you know, mm-hmm. try to really get your points out there without it being like taken back to the back and everything. But my next project, sincerely, is mostly just going to be focused on like just a letter to myself, basically, you know, my future self and everything. You know, I'm still in the transitional phase. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd have everything figured out by now, but it's like I'm still trying to get things figured out. That's you know okay. where I'm going. Okay. You know, it's just like this you whole. Got plenty of time. Yeah, and it's just like it's just a note to my future self. It's just like just my anxiety. It's just things I'm kind of dealing with at this moment. You know, what if I, you know, like what I'm trying to really overcome the obstacles I'm over trying to overcome internally and externally, and are to make my goals and everything. And it's just like you know, it's just it's just stuff like that. And it's and it's also going to be followed too many projects. One's going to be an ocean view, which is really just going to be mostly just focus on just more of like a. Like it's kind of like a it's an introduction to a like a persona that I'm trying to introduce called it Tony Forsetti, which is gonna be a persona, which is gonna be just uh, a reflection of just everything I want to be. Like as an individual, like more confident, more cunning, more money in my pocket, stuff of that nature, and more spontaneous in everything I do. I feel like that would be my more ideal. So add it to you. Yeah. All you gotta do is just put one foot in front of the other one. Mm. And just accomplish what you can every day towards your goal. Just take little bites, small bites out of it. Don't try to eat the whole cake in one sitting, you know. Save some for later. Save some for later. Um, I know I my project after that is going to be called It Is What It Is, which is going to be like a transition, which is actually like a little mini project that's going to lead to my next, next major project called Whatever, which is going to be more focused on the whole mentality of just trying to like, you know, trying to balance day-to-day life and everything on one stage. And then the next stage, you get an epiphany of just like, you know, I don't have to live like this. I don't have to take mm-hmm. the life that they've given to me. That's right. You know, whatever things happened in the past, it's not a reflection of who I am or my future. No. And it's not. And it's just like, you know, and then the final part of that is it's going to be represented just me taking my energy back and just, you know, focusing on just uh, really just reestablishing myself and my place in the world and everything. And really just all, like how you said, just taking that first step. Just being yourself. yourself, Yeah. And that's what I really like about like just expressing yourself through music. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know. 
it's just uh it's just i always feel i always have like a vision of like how i want to be expressed and the points that i want to make and stuff of that nature so it's just like you make a lot of good sense bro yeah. you really do yeah i just want to try, try to put this mm-hmm. stuff out there but it's just it all comes from me and you know i, I always feel I have the doubts like maybe i'm getting too old i'm 23 yeah. i'm going 24 and everything you know still, you're still quite young believe it or not tupac and biggie had a whole lot of stuff done like around this age and i only dropped like 12 songs and so me just still trying you know like that's this self-doubt is there but once you start building a better mindset and just better self-talk and everything you know you, you manage to really just get these things in the way i got somebody that works in a studio in charlotte uh the plan is gonna be just i'm just gonna go to virginia and everything make as much money as i can knock out all the stuff i gotta knock out once i re- got all my next projects written i'm gonna come back to charlotte um my brother's gonna drive me to the to the studio maybe might hop on a song too he's doing music also everyone mm-hmm. wants to do music i don't know what it is he's doing pretty good i guess he just got it from me i don't know he's doing a lot better than a lot of those other kids i went with in high school out there pop locker one day man. i said like, you go boy <laughs> yeah, you out there getting it through man yeah yeah you know it's just like, i like yeah, to tell i'm probably too man Oh yeah, just so we try to hope I'm probably a good episode. But I want to thank you again, uh, Mr. Mike Knox, for having me over. Oh, I feel like you touched on a whole lot of things. Oh no, no, no! I'm same, Sam. I'm trying to get all the blood in my legs and everything. But it's like I want to say thank you again. If you got any final words, you're free to say so. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Okay, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, I hope I answered all your questions satisfactorily. Oh, no, you've said a whole lot. I feel like you put a whole lot of perspective out there for the younger generations and also people who don't understand about the Marine Corps and just life of that nature. You know, I feel like yeah, you touched all, all men who join the Marine Corps and all women who join the Marine Corps don't die. Mm. You all get to, some get to come home, like me, you know. And just get to live full lives and everything. Get to live your life. Most definitely. Everybody doesn't get killed in combat or in wars. Yeah, most definitely. The most definitely, they do not. Mm-hmm. And we're signing off this episode. This is a Mental Threats podcast. This is Toasty and Mr. M- I know Gunnery Sergeant Michael Knox signing out. That is it.